Commandos. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscaro, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got game him. Winning. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. JJ German for the win. He got it. JJ German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my new friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Wednesday edition, ETSU Furman tonight. ETSU women's basketball final two home games of the regular season. We'll talk about the matchup on Thursday. And we'll talk a little uh, top 25. A little college basketball edition. Mid-major today. top 25. That's probably fair. I should have said that. Mid-major top 25. As uh, I think you'll be familiar with the number two team. And most people probably by now know that is your ETSU Buccaneers and three SOCON teams in the top 10 in the mid-major top 25 brought to you by collegeinsider.com all right so i guess is there a game today I'm, 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 i've I'm, heard some rumblings uh, about a pretty hefty contest down at freedom hall there are people uh losing their minds yes there are people losing their minds over tickets there are people losing their minds already on social media you hardly ever hear from the paladin faithful but they've they're, they're coming in hot as you would imagine, the Buck faithful are quick to attack anybody, and they have come with guns a-blazing. So, if nothing else, uh, I believe there's going to be a good one. Matter of fact, I know for a fact there is no other game today with more wins between two teams. And a matter of fact, a healthy seven-game lead between the two games next with ETSU and Furman having a combined 45 wins. Duke and NC State at 38. North Dakota State, South Dakota also at 38. But this is uh, this is the game. It's gotten a lot of pub, not just from mid-major sites it's gotten pub from espn it's gotten pub from the athletic it's gotten pub from cbs sports it's gotten pub i'm missing somebody maybe fox or, or some sports illustrated athletic, sorry athletic uh, i did athletic sports illustrated. sports illustrated uh pat 40 had a big thing on it so everybody is tuned in and most teams around the country are pulling for and i don't know which one but they are pulling for somebody to win and the next team to lose a couple more so the socon becomes back a one-bid league now Again, I think people are discounting UNCG. I think if UNCG can continue to win out because they get a game today with Wofford, they get a game with Furman, right? And they got a couple more games that are winnable. I don't remember the last two games they got, but those are the two big ones they got. And they get a chance to go with their net ranking, RPI, BPI, all these other indexes that people come up with. They're looking very good. That being said, we're going to talk about Furman right now. So we set the lay of the land for you there for a second, unless you got something to chime in well, before that. Well, the only thing I was going to say, in the mid-major top 25, we are going to talk about potentially how UNCG can insert themselves directly in the okay. center of this race because it's a pretty simple set of circumstances. Now, not circumstances Buck fans want to hear and Buck fans would like, but uh, they're the number 10 team in the mid-major poll, so we will talk about that a bit later. All right, so I'm going to talk ETSU for a minute. I'm going to lead with some similar stats this year. 
uh, before we talk a little bit about last year, before we talk about overall series, I'm going to talk about this year, similar stats between the two teams. The two teams are the SOCON leaders in field goal percentage. Furman slightly higher in ETSU at 48%. If you round it up, ETSU would also be at 48%, but 47 and a half. Uh, they rank second and third scoring offense, 77.5 for Furman, 76.7 for ETSU. Scoring defense, ETSU 62.8, Furman at 65.9. Field goal percentage defense, the Bucks hold teams to 42%, Furman at 43%. Steals per game, ETSU almost 9, Furman over 8. Turnover margin, Furman plus 4.3, the Bucks. Plus 4.2. Get where I'm going with this. The two teams rank first and third in the league in scoring margin. The Bucks lead the league plus 14, while Furman's at 11.5. Three-point field goal percentage defense, and I think this is important. ETSU holding teams to under 30% on the season. Furman right at 30 at 30.3. Assist to turnover ratio, Furman at 1.3, ETSU 1.2. In addition, Coach Forbes... 74% winning percentage during his tenure at ETSU. Bob Ritchie, 73% wow. winning percentage. Both games won their 70th game in the 94th game they've ever coached, and Bob Ritchie did that in his 94th game last time. Steve Forbes did it in that, and then Coach Forbes' win percentage ranks 10th amongst, in, amongst NCAA Division One coaches, and Bob Ritchie right now ranks 13th. Speaking of Coach Forbes. We try not to do that. We, we really, as coaches, we talk about that a lot. I think their mentality going into Wednesdays are really excited. I think they're ready, and I think they want to play in a big game at home. I don't think it's revenge or anything like that. I think it's just wanting to play well and wanting to win a championship, and this is, you know, the next roadblock in the way to winning it. If we win the game, when we win the game on Wednesday, does it clinch it? Nope. Still got three more to go. We are in control of our own destiny, and that's a good feeling. We took care of business on Saturday. Didn't look ahead. It was a hard game. I knew it would be with or without Bo. Proud of those guys for just digging in and finding a way to win. I think that I won't have to motivate them too much on Wednesday. I'm pretty sure they'll be ready to play. They were in a really good mood today. So that was on looking ahead, and the question emanated from a space where if you look at last loss for ETSU, they've won five in a row, but it was Mercer – three days before the UNCG game, and that was a 71-55 to loss to the Bears in which they kind of put the hammer to ETSU down the stretch, and now the Bucks would bounce back and get a 17-point win over UNCG, so it's kind of interesting. They lose the one that you wouldn't expect, and then they come back and kind of thrash UNCG, but uh, you saw the VMI game and obviously able to get things done 31-35 to at the line. No Bo Hodges. Bo expected to return tonight. Patrick Good is now you know past uh, the birth of his uh, new child, and so even Coach Forbes said he thinks that that lifted a bit of a load off Pat because there's so much responsibility, a lot of nerves, and it's just a new experience, and there's a life that's now uh, you know in your hands, but you've gotten past the very scary and uh, nerve-wracking time of um, you know getting through childbirth and things such as that. So uh, gotten through that. They're going to have him. He was big against VMI. Again, it wasn't necessarily your most convincing performance against the Kedets, but that's a team that's nearly bit a lot of different squads, including this Furman squad. Um, probably should have beaten the Paladins last time they played before missing a free throw, and Jordan Lyons comes down and hits a three. So that's a team that jumped up, nearly got the Bucks, nearly got the Paladins. They both made it past uh, that team and don't have a loss directly going into their biggest home game of the year. And you can't say that uh, the last time around. Uh, at the end of January and early February where they were coming off a loss going into UNCG. Now, 
He clearly didn't hurt him then, but clearly you can hear in that sound by Coach Forbes thinks the Bucks are in the right mind state. And I, I would concur because I watched practice yesterday, and I, and I haven't watched practice in a while. Like I've seen, I watched shoot around the day before just so I can pick up on some nuances on maybe play sets that either they're doing or the opposing team's doing. But I did watch practice yesterday, and it was a common theme. It wasn't really Furman. There was a lot of championships. We're trying to win a championship. we got to do things better to win a championship. And that's sort of what Coach Forbes said they've been working on is trying to not focus in particularly on an opponent, and especially like you know when you're trying to bounce back against a, a loss to Mercer, that, that was the thing. They didn't try to harp on the loss to Mercer. They were harping on need to win this game for a championship and guys are buying into that to me that's important and so they were it was loose and a lot of energy but it wasn't like an uncomfortable loose sometimes I think I've seen teams practice and I'm like oof that's a little too lightly for the game that you're about to go into I wouldn't say that I I just think they were really locked in they were focused there were players that were challenging other players that they didn't feel like they were giving their all on a particular play. Not on everything, but if somebody didn't run up the floor because they were working on transition defense because that's something they got hurt on against Furman in the first one. And it was a situation where guys were calling each other out, and it wasn't necessarily the defensive guys running back. Sometimes it was, you know, and the scout team was like, hey, you've got to run harder than that. Like, you've got to give us a look. You've got to get us prepared. So once you get players, kind of policing players, I think that's a that's a good sign. In the same token, I saw uh, an article a few a few games ago from Bob Ritchie where he was talking about how they had had a bad practice, you know, and he was going to try to wash it away, and they were going to watch film. And he walks by the film room, and 30 minutes early, the team's in there watching film on their own. Wow. And it was player called, and Jordan Lyons, you'd imagine, one of the be- better players in the league. Is, you know, coach said, what are we doing? He said, uh, you know, we didn't like the way we communicated yesterday, so we're watching film to figure out how we get better. So when players are doing that, and policing themselves and doing things like that, to me, teams are locked in. So I think Furman is locked in. I think ETSU's locked in. Yeah, it's not surprising to hear after you went through all those stats that mindset-wise and in terms of who's leading, the teams appear the same too. Here's more from Coach Forbes. They're a perennial 24-25 win team now. Uh, They have really good players. Um, We're a lot alike. You know, looking at the numbers, you know, they score 75 a game in league play. We score 73. Uh, They give up 67. We give up 64 pretty darn close they had the upper hand at their place i will say that was january 4th that was a while ago uh, we're a different team i'm sure they are too i think we're scoring the ball better now than we were i think we're playing better it's gonna be a really hard fought game listen this is what we signed up for right all of us uh you me fans players when i came here it was all about playing for championships and and this is it you're not gonna get a bigger home game this is a huge one. To me, if you look at the home games that we've had maybe two years ago and we had the three-game stretch where we lost to Citadel, Furman, Wofford, those were big. The Chattanooga game at home, my second year when we beat them and took off, you know, those are big home games. This will be a big, big, big home game. You know, Seth Greenberg was on the phone with me today about it. He said he's going to talk about it tonight on ESPN. Ding. Matt Norlander just hit me up. Uh, he's going to write an article about it. Ding. National people have picked up on it that it's going to be a really good game. So what do you think? You heard Coach Forbes say in his almost five complete years now, four plus years, four and three quarters years, whatever you want to say, that this is right up there, if not the biggest home game that ETSU has played. 
going back in your memory banks, can you come up with another? I, I think it, it, I think it's very similar to where the Bucks were against Furman and Wofford a couple years ago. If they win one of those games, they're a share of the conference champion. They win both those games, they're the outright champion. This has to fill that. Now the difference, I think, for those two games, they were the last two games of the year, and they were home. This one isn't. But I think because the at-large talk is in play here, I think it, it, it's bigger because it's not just about a regular – and it is, trust me, it is about a regular season championship. It is about getting the number one seed. I get that. But winning this game for either team is going to help the case to try to get an at-large bid into the NCAA tournament in case something doesn't go your way, you know, championship Monday. And I think both teams would rather win out and not have to worry about that but the reality is there's an opportunity to where you could have an opportunity in Southern Conference for the first time since last year's scare of almost getting two teams in of the Southern Conference having a chance, especially with this year being even more mucked up than last year's college basketball. So it's very tough to always go back and, and go exactly is this or that. Both games, and it's funny that it involves Furman at some point at home, is an opportunity to win a conference championship. This one a little bit different feel because Furman wasn't necessarily battling for a title at that point in time. They are in this one, but also because of the implications in what might or might not happen on selection Sunday. Furman, who are the number eight team in the college insider mid-major top 25, we're going to go over why their case for an at-large right now just isn't really holding up to what ETSU's case is, and we'll have you talk a little bit, a bit about the computer numbers, schedule, and diving into that uh, to give people a more clear view as to why perhaps this game and going down the stretch, ETSU maybe has a fallback plan, and at least at the moment, Furman isn't looking like they might. Uh, do you think Jerome Rodriguez is going to play tonight? No. I don't either, and so there has to be another X factor for ETSU. Could it be Davian Williams? I think it's just him playing with more confidence. Um, I didn't ask him to step back. Nobody's asked him to do that. We've actually tried to get him to play with more confidence and be more aggressive and, and attack downhill. All the things we know we're very he's very capable of. And I think sometimes, naturally, he probably does take a backseat to those two once in a while, which is probably normal for a younger player, but he's too good to do that, and think he kind of did this last year right he came on hot late played really well and we need him to continue on this path and uh, he needs to stay aggressive and stay in attack mode we're a lot better team when he when he is and keep him going and keep Trey and now we got Pat going back again Bo you know that makes us uh, a lot better team and uh, I'm real happy that he's uh, playing like he's playing. And for the reasons that Coach Forbes just said, it seems like this is as ready as an ETSU team will have been, at least on the offensive end. And keep in mind, their calling card all year has been defense. But you see what Davian's done, double figures six of the last seven games. Lucas Goussaint, double figures ten straight games after it seemed like at the beginning of the year, kind of through the non-conference, you, you had seen the burst from Lucas, right? You didn't know if there was another gear he could get to to be more consistent, but even when talking on the coach's show uh, that we won't hear from Monday night from Coach Forbes, he mentioned that when a caller came, it seems like every week somebody wants to talk about Milad Armis and why he's not here, and for whatever reason that, you know, we're three months into the season and still people are you know, harping on that. Coach Forbes said he thinks that far and away, Lucas Goussaint is the better offensive player than Maladin Armas. Now, Maladin perhaps a bit more stout down low and on the glass and the physical game, and we get all that. But uh, Lucas has certainly come into his own. So those two, plus the fact that you had 14 points on five shots 
from Pat Good, who, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, seems like he's back a little bit. It's now don't look, you know, and and get caught off guard here, but it's five straight games and double figures for Trey Boyd in nine of the last 11. And now you got Bo. You wonder if there will be um, any rust. You wouldn't think so. He was only gone for a game. So Joe Hughley, who can be an X factor, uh, Bonnie Patterson, who when ETSU is stout on the glass, you know, he can really be a difference maker there. Isaiah Tisdale, we haven't even mentioned, and he's been a little more up and down offensively, but he's the, as Coach Forbes continues to say, the junkyard dog. He's the guy that will do a lot of the dirty work. It seems like a Buck team that, while Coach Forbes talks about mindset and the different people coming on, I look holistically and seem to think that this is as hot as an ETSU team has been in terms of their personnel, I guess, over the last six weeks. This is really matching up to be a heavyweight fight, not only because of some of the numbers, and you talked about the most wins in a day. This is the game that has the third most wins combined throughout the week. The only others are Gonzaga-BYU, which has 47, and Baylor and Kansas, two of the top three teams in the country, which has 46, and then this game between ETSU and Furman. So it's good company. The Bucks seem ready. And I'm sure Furman is thinking the same, that they have a great chance to come in here and pull an upset. But um, I just don't know, looking from this end of things, and yes, we can be biased, but how you come in and stop this team with the role that they're on, if they can get the contributions that they've gotten from those same players we talked about. Well, I, I did a breakdown of wins versus losses in league play. And in the two losses, I did it for Furman too. The problem is that the two losses for Furman were just way different. There was not a common theme. It was they lost 86-73 at, I'm going to home in quotes because it was at the Bon Secure downtown arena, not Timmins Arena. And that was to UNCG right after UNCG lost ETSU. And then they lost at Wofford on that ESPNU game. They lost by 14, but that was a 66-52 game. So one game they're shooting lights out, one game they're not rebounding was similar to that another but in ETSU the 12 wins versus the two losses in the two losses at Furman at Mercer or at Furman and to Mercer ETSU shot just 38 percent from the floor but here's the two numbers that are just eye gouging ETSU was 8 of 45 from three 17.8 percent and 11 of 27 from the free throw line 41 percent they were out rebounded in both games by 12 and a half per game and turnover wise uh, let's see what was that that was a crazy number two I thought actually funny enough ETSU was plus 16 on turnovers that, well, that seems impossible and that's right? an interesting thing looking at the first game against Furman hmm. you know the Bucks forced turnovers got points off turnovers hmm. and it's so strange how free throws yeah it's just shooting you know you look for any other theme there and it just seemed like it was shooting and that's why I think coach Forbes talks about it being so long ago, that game, you know, between the Bucks and the Paladins, because the Bucks were going through an offensive stretch, like we talked about multiple times in the show, that a lot of great teams go through right around the new year when they're transitioning into conference play. But it's been a long time, aside from take out the Mercer game, right? You know, and as you said, that's an outlier, along with some of those other losses. And those games do pop up, right? You hope tonight isn't one of them. Um, but the Bucks did to Furman what they wanted, I think, on the defensive end, and were opportunistic and capitalized. But just couldn't shoot the ball. Right, and they held him to 65 points. I think it was a 65-56 locks, yeah. right? So here's the other thing. Um, and individually speaking, and a lot of the, and some of the numbers aren't that crazy until you get to two guys. Patrick Good and Trey Boyd combined from three, four of 23. Mm. From the floor, they were six of 33 total. They only scored nine points apiece, so combined 18 points in those two games. So 
simple math would say if those guys get to their averages and ETSU does some things, because if you look overall, plus the in the loss, the, the opposing teams, I should say, shot 54% from the floor, which is, which is crazy because in the wins, all the other games, you know, they're holding teams to 42%. Um, in the 12 wins, they're holding teams to 32% from three, 70% from the line. Consequently, the Bucks are shooting 48% from the floor, 34% from three, and 73% from the line in the 12 wins. 73 compared to 41%. And you're talking about 12 games. That's not like a small sample size compared to these two losses, which maybe isn't a great sample size. But when you look at everything compared, plus ETSU on the glasses, plus five, they're still unbelievable on the turnover. And again, it is funny. They're plus three on the turnover margin. And that in the losses, they were, what was that, plus eight or something? Yeah, plus eight. So that is a little bit of, of an outlier, but the 95 steals in the wins, you know, they're able to get points off turnovers. They're plus five on the rebound. So holding Furman down because Furman had an outstanding shooting day the first day, although they didn't score a lot of points, they're very methodical in what they do. When Furman shoots 40% or better, again, that's not like an absurd clip, but when Furman shoots 40% or better, they're 20-2. and two. One and three went under 40%. So to me, that's a, that's a big stat. And then both teams, when leading, this is how you know they're good teams. Both teams combined, leading at the half, they're 36 and 1. Wow. If there's one thing I can guarantee about this game, and I don't know who's going to win, I really don't. Uh, I saw the numbers that came out today and the lines and everything. And What are they? I didn't even look. Uh, Bucks are favored by five. Okay. I think I said Monday to you off air would be five. You know, don't got to pat me on the back. I'll do it myself. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes, you always do. <laughs> I can guarantee this game is not going to go like the first one did because the Bucks shot. 5-23 from outside. That was their third worst shooting night of the year, 21% in terms of percentage. Tied for their lowest free throw output, 9 attempts, and fewest makes in percentage, 3 and 33. Second fewest rebounds, they had 28, or minus 13 on the glass. And there were chances to rebound there, too. 64 missed shots. The Bucks just didn't get those rebounds. And I don't think you're going to be able to do to Furman what you did the first time in terms of that turnover margin being plus 7 getting 21 points off 19 turnovers because the Paladins are top 30 in the country in steals, turnovers forced, and turnover margin. One way I think you can beat them is on the glass. And the fact that you didn't is concerning from that first time around, but I think that's an area where the Bucks are going to step up tonight. Furman's been out-rebounded. This is incredible to me. And the fact that they won seven in a row. This is their second seven-game win streak this year. Remember, the Bucks were win number six in the first seven-game win streak. They've been out-rebounded 10 to the last 11 games which seems impossible to win at the clip that they are while not getting crushed by any means. I, I'm pretty sure I looked and all of them are single digits, right? So it, it's been relatively close, but, you know, minus five, minus seven, minus three, minus two, throwing a minus four, you know. But, so it hasn't been outrageous, but I think you can only win that way for so long before it bites you. And if the Bucks can make a concerted effort with, and, and again, it doesn't have to be any one guy because Jerome Rodriguez isn't in there, and it's probably not going to be one guy without Jerome because he is that – uh, hunter of rebounds, right? But if you can get Isaiah Tisdale, two, three, four offensive rebounds like he's been known to do. If you can get Vonnie Patterson to have one of his really good aggressive days where he's going after loose balls and making a difference in the 50-50 game and getting a couple offensive rebounds himself. And obviously it'd be nice for Lucas Goussaint, you know, towering above everyone else to play like a seven-footer in terms of the physicality tonight um, and just having Bo back and knowing what he can do in every aspect of the game. I think that's a really big area because I don't think you're going – to do what you did to Furman twice, at least to the extent that you did it in terms of flipping what Furman's done all year against them. And obviously it didn't help the first time, but the Bucs aren't going to have a shooting night like they did the first time around. So you like stats, don't you? Love them. Okay, I'm a stat guy. 
the last time there was a sweep in the season series was 1993-94. Now, that was a 10-year gap there from 05-06 to 14-15. Though, that's to a 14, lot of years. 15. And the last time Furman swept ETSU in a series was 86-87, which ironically is when the three-point treat started during that stretch. They, that's when the last time the Bucks did not hit a three was during that year. So I went back and looked. Since 2014-15, so it's a little more relative compared to the, you know, 03, 04, what was it, 04, 05, 03, you know, that era. You look at the margin of victory between the two games, because they've split every time. Obviously, we're waiting on the second game this year. But ETSU and Furman, there was a three-point margin between the two teams in 14-15. The next two years, 15-16, 16-17, there was a one-point difference in the margin between the two games. So one team won by four, one by five. The next year, one by 13, one by 12. Then you look at uh, the time that the team split on each other's home floor. ETSU won by one, Furman won by three. Then you go to last season, which is a little bit of an outlier. Both teams hammered each other on their home floor. Bucks lost by 30 in that contest, but then they won by 23. So the seven-point margin is the largest. And then this year, Furman obviously won by nine. So if you add up all that and see how it kind of evens out through the time, it looks like the Bucks are going to have a 12-point victory. And because I feel like Pat Good and Trey Boyd are going to knock down shots today, if you want to hit the the red hot button here, I'm going to give you one. Bold prediction of the week: ETSU wins by 15 or more. Mm, you're going with it. Boom! You will not make a prediction, and you're going to waffle over there. I'm giving you that ETSU, and I'm by numbers. This isn't really just a knee jerk like I want to. Uh, you know, I'm a Buck fan that just wants to beat Firm and worse than they beat us this year. I'm going off, statistically speaking, with lots of numbers in the series and how it's gone and each team splitting and everything else that goes. I'm basing that more off doing the numbers than a gut feeling because, let's be honest, a 15-point win. I mean, again, I wouldn't take ETSU to beat UNCG by 16, and I would have never in my life and said that before the game. And looking at the numbers, there's nothing that would point me in that direction. And the truth is, 15 is probably a bit much. It probably should be 12. But I, but for whatever reason, I just feel good about Trey Boyd, Pat Good, trying to make amends, uh, especially the second halves that Trey Boyd's been having, especially at or really anywhere. It's not just been at home. It's been everywhere. He's been having second half. So I feel like, and again, going out there on a limb, I'm sure, you know, uh, there'll be a Furman fan or two that will, you know, so kind John will probably retweet this at some Furman fans and they'll, get a little fired up at me we'll see what happens uh wednesday night but i i think the numbers point that that's how it's going to be if you were a vegas sharp you this is what you do you look at all that stuff you you compute compute everything in there and then you go off history and everything else and go with it more than a gut feeling you're playing numbers and to me if i'm just playing numbers there which the numbers point to about a 12 point win not 15 but i'm going to say 15 I don't know if Jerome Rodriguez was 100%. Remember, that was the last game that he played against uh, Furman and then was has been out since. Uh, didn't play against UNCG and has been out for the last six weeks. I don't know if he was 100%. 23 minutes, 3 of 3, 6 points, 5 rebounds. If you can get Joe Hughley, who played just 6 minutes that day, to step up, take those minutes, and get like, you know, stay just fill in those numbers, right? He didn't have any rebounds. He had 3 points off the bench. So add his points with Jerome's points. Nine points, five rebounds. I think that would be huge. And one other thing, you look at the two games that have been close for Furman over their seven-game win streak, they've combined to go six of 43 from outside the arc. And those are games against VMI and Chat, which they won by a combined seven points. In every other one of 
the games that they've won during the seven-game win streak, they've hit double-digit threes. So you're talking a huge disparity between the offense operating at its peak and then struggling and just getting by against, granted, a chat team that's improved, but a VMI team that, yes, has given a scare to a few teams over the last number of weeks, still hasn't pulled off that upset. Too close to comfort, needless to say. And so 6-43 versus double-digit threes in each of the games. Um, the Bucks, if they can defend the arc and stop Furman from say, getting hot like they did on their home court last year in that second half, or even just having consistent success and limiting them to four, five, six threes, I think that will be huge in not only trying to go ahead and uh, you know get the victory, but take that number one spot in the Southern Conference. And Coach Forbes said, it's not locked up. You're not guaranteeing yourself a league regular season title in one seed, but it's pretty darn close. I, and there's still there's still a lot of quality basketball games to go and you're right it 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 gives somebody and if it is firm and it gives them an, essentially a two-game lead over etsu because they would hold the tiebreaker if Furman wins the game if etsu wins the game it puts them in nice stead because a tiebreaker would come down to the next team which is uncg in which etsu's already sl- uh, swept uncg Furman has already lost a game they got a, a game to go so i would say in essence it gives etsu a two-game lead for the number one seed so th- i think it's a huge game there's still a lot of basketball to go uh, etsu and Furman each play wofford and for Furman, they've still got to go through uncg as well and etsu's got a nice team and what would be the four seed right this second and the western carolina catamounts coming to to town as well who did not have carlos dots in the first time so there's a lot True. of basketball to go this True. certainly does not put a fork in the season for either team on who's going to be the regular season championship but Make i think it does give somebody a huge in essence a two-game lead over the other team and and i think that's what everybody's going with a in essence a two-game lead with three to go depending on how things work out there by the way i have marked down in the book a bold prediction 15 plus as you should okay as you should as long as you are making sure to sign on that dotted line my friend uh, put it down all put right. it down it's in science or math something like that all no, right you're not good at either of those things no no i don't even know what they are actually uh we'll step aside for a time out when we come back talk etsu women's basketball they play thursday they take on the Sanford Bulldogs. We'll talk about that after this time. Out here, Worm Sanders, sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge. New name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sandoson, the sidekick, back with you on this Wednesday edition. ETSU women's basketball at home. Their final two home games of the regular season before they'll go to Chattanooga next weekend and, of course, the Southern Conference Tournament the week after that. But they'll take on the Sanford Bulldogs. And can we gloss over the last game? To, I mean, other than uh, there was a loss. It's and, your show. And, and Kimbrough had 10 rebounds. And just talk about this one. Whatever you want to do. Okay, let's talk about this one. So Sanford comes to town. They're battling for a one seed. ETSU can still uh, get on a little bit of a run and try to get out of the uh, seven slot. And the way the women's standings works, 
honestly, I don't know what's going to happen. But there are several teams. There's about five teams, right, that are kind of battling that could finish one through five in, in theory. I think Mercer's six seed. I don't know that they can make up enough ground with teams that got to play whoever. But anyway, the first go around against Sarah, we'll say ETSU didn't shoot the ball particularly well. They did rebound the ball well. They've got to get the shooting going. And if nothing else, not even if it's for seeding, because I think the Southern Conference Women's Tournament is the most open tournament maybe in the history of NCAA. Of course, uh, maybe not the history, but it's certainly going to be an open one. I'm the hyperbolic I know, I know. Yeah, I just did yeah, that right. for you. So, and it's your news resolution, so I'm trying to take it over for no, you. No. But I, I really feel like it's a situation where whoever gets at any slot, whoever gets the hottest – and whoever could maybe get on a three, four, five-game win streak for ETSU would be a three-game win streak going into the Southern Conference Tournament. But whoever got on that win streak going into Asheville could just ride the hot hand and be the representative for the Southern Conference. Here's something. In Division One weekday games this year, so Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. ETSU 6-8. and eight. They've been outscored by six points, that are average margin of results. So that's including wins and losses. 6-8. and eight. Yep. Not great, not bad. You know, six or eight wins, right? Now, keep in mind, there was a 91 win against Converse, so that's not being included. So that leaves you, if you're keeping track at home and you're looking at the record for ETSU women's basketball, D1 weekend games, 1-10. in ten. Been outscored by 19.5 points a game. Let's break it down even further, because I wasn't quite sure what that told me, aside from eh, maybe the people like to take it easy on the weekends, different mindset, but I'm going time of day. So D1 games played before 5 o'clock. Now, this is good research. This by year, way. go ahead. Radford, Davidson, Cleveland State, Troy, Georgia Tech, Cornell. The first time against Western Carolina. First time against Wofford. First time against Chat. Second time against UNCG. Second time against Furman. Again, before five o'clock. One in ten. Eighteen point six point per game margin of average result in D one games played at five o'clock or after. So at or after is important because of the Liberty game early on. Tennessee Liberty, High Point, North Carolina A&T, UNC Asheville, App State. Wake Forest, South Alabama, UNCG the first time, Furman the first time, Mercer the first time, Stanford the first time, Western Carolina the second time, Wofford the second time, 6-8. and eight, Outscored by 6.5 points per game. I don't know what that tells you, and I don't know if you've ever thought about time of day affecting results. I hadn't until I started to watch this team a little bit more and pay closer attention this year and such and you know more sports information duties with them, and y- you see things start to unfold. And we've talked about it here and there over the last week or two, and I've alluded to, well, the team's maybe better on Thursdays than it is Saturdays in league play and yada, yada, yada. But I, the thing that I uncovered the most in this research was I just think that early in the day, the wake-up time for shoot-around, as you know, if you're at home five hours early, if you're on the road, it's six hours early for game time. Uh, and the Bucks, as you would want to uh, as a head coach, Brittany Zell, I don't blame her at all. You want to wake them up, get them out of bed, get them ready, um, and get the extra practice time when you can. Go to shoot around and get some shots up. Uh, put in the last little bit of the scout, whatever you want to do. I think that this tells me that perhaps the wake-up time's either too early. Uh, it's tough to get up for a day game like it is a night game for this group, whatever the case may be. I don't know what it tells you, but clearly this is a trend and not a mirage at this point in the season, at least in my opinion. So you're saying could be a good day Thursday. Saturday you've got to work with her to try to move the game time. Is that what you're – I'm hoping a, the, the suggestion. the blizzard that is supposed to come tomorrow waits till Saturday so we can push the game back to a night game, yes. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I have done research – Similar to that, not in basketball, though. I've done it a lot in baseball, whether it's a 
night game, day games. There, there's certain things outdoors. There. It's an outdoor sure. sport. That makes sense. Sure, absolutely. And and there are times football there, uh, over the years. You you could look and and say, okay, this that, and another. But I'm not for basketball. I've never thought of that. I've thought about weekdays versus weekends, which is which, and that's where they started. It, it, to which be fair. is which is a little similar, but still. You know, when you start talking about moving games to, you know, particularly where you're playing at night and the numbers right now are proving the team likes the night games, like they just, they tend to enjoy sleeping in a little better for whatever like, reason. Like to play under the lights, maybe are just more night people where they're at their peak once 7, 8 o'clock comes around. And I started with weekend versus weekday, but then I remembered, well, the Bucks played Radford in their education game, education day game. And then they played Troy on the road in their Education Day game. And then you look at those results and you say, okay, against Radford, it was a 24-point loss. And Troy, an 18-point loss. And you look specifically in that Troy game, uh, it was the first half that got them because they only scored 18 points. We're down by 22. So I don't know what needs to happen. Well, that, is, that is. And I want because they're, they're thin and not deep, is it getting the legs underneath them? Is Could it? That yeah, be you're it. Right. I mean, there's. So, I think it's a psychological thing, but it also could be a circadian rhythm type thing. Like, and I don't want to get too much into, you know, science of um, yeah, how the body yeah, works went, and all I don't that. I anything about science. <laughs> I I'm not a, you know, exercise science or a sports science type major or anything like that. But it is just very interesting to see, you know, games that start at generally it's going to be one or two o'clock, right? Versus games that start generally at seven o'clock. The team has more time throughout the day to get in the right headspace to uh, put themselves in that place where they're ready for a game, you know, at night where during the day it is all kind of cramped, especially considering you do have that shoot around time that comes five or six hours early. So um, maybe Coach Zell gives them the morning, you know, and just says, all right, look, what we've been trying hasn't been working. You know, let's take the morning off from shoot around, show up, uh, you know, whenever you want to show up for game time. You know, Mike Sheets is always there about hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes. It seems like I had a game time getting shots up and, and then others kind of stream in. Um, so it, it's just interesting to see. And it, it's worrisome, obviously, for the Saturday game. But in the immediate, the Thursday game against Sanford, that was the first time around. I'll say this, uh, the one outlier in this series that we're talking about because that was technically a 5.30 Eastern time start, 4.30 Central time start, and the Bucks lost 68-34, their second lowest point output in the history of the program. So it's maybe not hard and fast every single day, but that does seem like the one outlier that's pushed off to the side uh, while you have, it seems like everything else is pretty uniform. But I want to go, it's fourth. It's got to be tip time. It, you, I don't know if you can do the Eastern. I know what you're saying because they're used oh, to I love Eastern that. time. Because it's, it feeds into the stat then if you want to include it in the right, day game right. category. Yeah, but, I, mean, I think you have to go start somewhere. It and I get, you, but if you're using science, you're going, well, if it's the same time of day, that's an interesting look. I would still say it would still go, I mean, just like, you know, PTSU when I played North Dakota State, right? Different Central time zone or Kansas Central time. I would use I would use the game time, but yeah, no, it's it's an interesting look at it and a lot of thought. And I'm wondering, you know, if you're if you're really worth your salt, why don't you do the last two or three years to figure that out? Don't push your luck. I know, I know. It's like I was just trying to give you more work for no reason. Uh, so all that aside, uh, I can tell you the one thing that ETSU's really been working on in practice the last couple of days has been rebounding, and it was not solid efforts. Just bottom line against Wofford and Furman, they only got 42 combined rebounds, and they were out rebounded by. If I counted right, it was 35 rebounds in those games. I think 77 to 42 against Wofford and Furman in back-to-back 20-plus point losses. 
Uh, ETSU was only minus five on the glass against Sanford the first time around, and the Bulldogs are a pretty average rebounding team. As a matter of fact, you look up and down their statistics, and they're really pretty average as a whole. They don't do anything great. They're between three and six in every conference stat during league play outside of block shots, which they're last in the conference in, but third in scoring, you know, second in scoring defense, fourth in rebounding margin. So they don't do anything great, but they do everything pretty good. And when you're solid on both ends of the floor, you can rebound a little bit. They're only plus .3 per game this year during conference play uh, in terms of rebounding, but they're second in scoring margin, plus 7.7. So uh, it is very interesting to see how a team maybe doesn't excel in any one area, but they're able to keep themselves from being lackluster in almost every area, how that can work for them. I, I can tell you that since beating ETSU 68-34 to 34 in their three wins, over Western UNCG and Mercer, they've held them to 49 points per game in their two losses. Again, speaking of Wofford and Furman, ETSU lost to Wofford and Furman this past week. Sanford also has lost to Wofford and Furman in their last five. They're giving up 70 and a half. So it seems like so defense goes, so goes the Sanford team. And ETSU can say the same. They're 8-6 and six in games where they've held opponents to 70 or less, 0-12 oh when they allow 70 or more so defense wins championships games everything so on so forth the cliche is real with these two teams if you have to beat this team one way I think you're going to obviously have to shoot the ball better than you did specifically from outside because you look at the two wins opponents have had over Sanford over those last five games uh, 17 of 37 from outside and the other three opponents that they uh, that they beat were nine of 40 so a much higher percentage, nearly 50% as a matter of fact, for teams that have beaten Sanford over their last five games. I think any time you play, and for ETSU women's the rest of the season, it's a must they get to the free throw line more. And because they've been very good at the free throw line, but they need to get to the free throw line more um, than the other team. They can't lose the battle at the charity stripe. The other thing I heard at all those stats you're saying is that Sanford is not particularly great, but they're not weak and everything. They're just a decent solid team and so it's probably going to come down to making shots and Sanford again not much of an advantage on the glass you know if you can get some rebounds if you get some shots to drop you get to the free throw line certainly the way this league is ETSU's got to get a shot as any I think they need a couple of players to step up and not rely on one person but I think the free throw line and rebounding um could be equally as important. Uh, I've not looked at Sanford's home away split as far as the shooting numbers go. I don't know if you have. I was just curious because I was just, uh, you know, because they are solid, sometimes that means they could be elevated on the home games and not so much on the road games. And just curious to see if there's somehow maybe something to that that uh, they hold serve a little more home and away as far as shooting the ball, not necessarily maybe wins losses. I can tell you they're one game under 500 in both spots in terms of home and away. So I can tell you wins and losses. They haven't done the splits, though. Okay, uh, and that's all right. But, but I'm, I, you know, if I had just a little bit more time uh, and I would have thought about it, just as we were spitballing, it just came to me. I'd be curious to see what that split is because I think maybe that can be an advantage if they don't particularly shoot the ball. And even if it's not minuscule, but even if it's, you know, 10, 20 points lower – um, you know, you know, if they go to forty-five percent, they're only shooting thirty-eight percent on the road. You know, those seven percentage points could be the difference in the game if ETSU could knock down shots. Plus, they get to the free throw line. So that would be the things that I'd pay attention to in Thursday's game. Bucks do appear healthy. They have all ten bodies at practice. 
their starting five and then the reserves that have kind of been beat up here and there um, over this conference season. So they look like they're going to have everybody. They played 10 against Sanford. Um, you mentioned there weren't a lot of individual numbers to really pull out. Uh, we do know that Micah Sheets has to be better than one for 12 from the field like she was uh, last game uh, this past Saturday against Furman. Um, she's got to return to her double-digit form, and you mentioned just overall getting players into double figures and having scoring efforts that don't just predicate themselves on Stafford's career high, Jackson's career high, Sheets' career high. It seems like players are having to go above and beyond and then some in order for the Bucks to have a good offensive day. If you can just get three to double figures, we've talked about it before, ETSU is eight and five in games where they, pardon me, eight and four, where they're, they've gotten to three double-digit scores or more, and they've gotten to uh, four uh, double-digit scores three times, and eight and four in games with three plus, and obviously they've got eight wins, so that tells you 0 oh and 14 when they don't get there three games in a row. They haven't gotten there hmm. three players in double figures. So just another it's one of the stat many stats. Yeah, yeah, just one of the many stat stats to throw out. I mean, it's, it's kind of basic. It's, people are going to score more points. You're probably going to have a better chance of winning, but three is the benchmark. So if it's Sheets, Jackson, Upton, Upton, Kimbrough, Sheets, whatever the combination may be, it hasn't mattered who's done it. They just have to do it. And if you can get to 70 in this league, then you're almost guaranteed to win. Right. So Only one team, I believe, overall on the year is averaging more than 70 points per game, and it's Wofford, and it's like 70.1. And they don't have Chloe Wanick anymore, by the way. That was confirmed to torn ACL. Her career's over. Oh, my goodness. Not too Terrible news. Bring down yep. the mood. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's look at women's basketball. It'll be Thursday night, 7 o'clock, inside Brooks Gym, ETSU versus Sanford. Don't forget, Friday we'll recap Wednesday's games. We'll preview uh, the weekend's games, ETSU men's basketball at Sanford. Uh, the women will host Mercer inside Brooks Gym, so we'll talk about that. When we come back, it's College Insider, mid-major, top 25 after this time. Out to Worm Santa Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Insider mid-major top 25 Gonzaga for the 2000th week in a row Bulldogs number one the number two in the AP poll 89 to 77 a win over Pepperdine their only game this past week they have seven players Jay Sandos seven players averaging in double figures this year seven and they are plus 10% from the field 8% from three plus nine on the glass blah 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 they're the only team are right we still talking about them ETSU well we have to because they're the Gonzaga Coast Conference. ETSU number two, up one spot <laughs> this week, two number two. If the Bucks can beat Furman and Sanford this week, I question to you, should the Zags lose to San Francisco or number 23 BYU, does ETSU get any first place votes in the College Insider Mid-Major Top do, 25? Do you? Yes. But do, do, do you? I mean, get a I'm vote surprised. or two. I, I mean, don't you don't think you'll get a vote or two? They'll get a vote or two. I don't know. Because there's got to be more people who have bias against Gonzaga than us. 
I mean, I, I'm going with that. The other thing is, how funny would it be because ETSU is only 60 some points behind if ETSU jumped Gonzaga in a mid major poll, but yet still not in the top 25 poll, which Gonzaga is, uh, would, would drop, obviously, some, but they would stay in the poll. They'd stay in the top 25 poll. And I don't know, maybe maybe some of these ETSU Furman wins and everything else would uh, would get my. I think they were technically, I know you can't do this, but like 39th if you look at receiving I do votes it. and counting. No, I do it. And I they were in the it. coaches and in the AP. Why can't you do it? I don't, I don't know, know why people don't let really you do it. Number three, Northern Iowa. They dropped the one spot that they do because of one of our games of the week last week, the Ramblers and the Panthers. Loyola Chicago able to pull off the upset and pull within a game of the Missouri Valley Conference lead, 82-73 to 73 over UNI. Bradley and Southern Illinois now just two games back, so it's getting tight in the Valley. Those 82 points, the most that the Panthers have given up this year. St. Mary's, number four, able to bounce back and move up a spot this week with an eight-point win over Pacific after they were trounced by Gonzaga two Saturdays back. The Gales shoot 50% from beyond the arc in that win, 42% from deep on the year, second in the country behind who? Uh, VMI. No. UNF. No. I don't know. Percentage-wise, it is BYU. Oh, BYU. But those stats don't matter because it's the Gonzaga Coast Conference. McNeese, the I true leaders in three-point percentage at 40.9%. Did not realize BYU is that high up there. Go ahead. Uh, they're not because they're in the Gonzaga Coast Conference. McNeese, 40.9% <laughs> conference leaders and country leaders in the Southland. Yale, number five, swap spots with St. Mary's because while the Bulldogs beat Princeton, they then lose to Penn in a tough week that had Yale play a couple of the other top teams in the Ivy League. Princeton and Yale tied at 6-2. and two. Penn, Harvard, and Brown tied at 5-3. and three. Liberty. They is stayed- that a law firm? Penn, Harvard, and Brown? Yeah. It definitely could be. Okay. Very rich. Liberty, number six, stays status quo with a win last week, but are currently a half game behind North Florida for tops in the Atlantic Sun. That may change when the teams meet this Thursday, 7 o'clock. BYU, up one spot in the College Insider mid-major top 25 this week, despite a near disaster for the Cougars against San Diego last week, who are 2-11 in the Gonzaga Coast Conference. But Yoli Childs with a dunk, eight seconds from the final horn to flip a one-point deficit to a one-point lead, an eventual win for BYU. And that leads them to their first ranking in the AP poll in nine seasons when they had who? Jimmy Fredette. Jimmer Fredette. Jimmer. And also it was like uh, Emery. I said Jimmy. Jimmer. Said, Jimmer, uh, sorry. There's like a Cameron Emery or Emery someone that they also had. That was their big man. But the Emery main, and Emery? The main, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, the main one is Jimmer who dropped Jimmer. Like 90 points last year in the Chinese League. Uh, seven of the eight teams from 18 to 25 in the AP poll last week lost. So there's your climb despite the near slip up for BYU. Two tough ones this week. Santa Clara visit the Cougars. If BYU gets past that, the game with the most combined wins in the country this week. Gonzaga at BYU. I'm giving the Gonzaga Coast Conference one more chance. If BYU can beat Gonzaga, it is no longer the GCC that gets disrespected constantly in this segment. Fair? I, I don't think you'll do it, though. Really? I mean, I know you said you might do it. I, I think you'll still do it. Probably. I just can't help myself with some of this I, stuff. I mean, I, I agree. I, listen, I'm not arguing with it. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I know... It sounds good right now. If they win, I'm going to give them respect. But it's just going to make you more mad. I'm just I, I could just, yeah, you're just going to be more mad, more angry. Furman, uh, an easy victory for the Paladins over Sanford and a bit too tight to rest easy win over Chattanooga by five this past week, number eight in the poll. Explain for those, and this is what we teased earlier in the first segment of the show, explain for those that may not have looked at the computer numbers and schedules just why the Paladins don't have a non-auto bid road to the NCAA tournament, at least right now, like ETSU does. Uh, a majority of the metrics that is used are just, they're just too far outside. You basically have to be, and, and unless you're NC State, who was inside the top 40 of net last year and didn't get in because the strength Six of schedule was like 353 so, oh my, of P53. Yes, it was terrible. It was 300 and something of 353, yep. yes. And uh, and so 
if you can get inside the top 40 net, they still look at, even though people don't want to talk about it, they still look a little bit of the RPI. Generally speaking, if you can get inside the 30-ish RPI, you're inside the 40 of the net, out-of-conference schedule, you've got a win. And last year, Furman had that win. Uh, Villanova, they certainly lost Chicago on paper because people knew who they were from the Final Four. They certainly didn't finish the year with wins that mattered, but they had beaten Villanova. The tough part for Furman and if you watch the end of the game against Auburn, and you know when you go in those games, you're going to get jobbed at some point, and they did, and it ended up costing them. But if they held on to the Auburn game, all bets are off. And because of where Auburn is right now with like two or three losses on the season. 22 and three. Yep. So you look at that, then they have that win. But because they just don't have that, and I think where UNCG's beating Georgetown, and Georgetown went a little bit of a lull because they kicked guys off their team. Now they're starting to play good basketball again, and that's starting to help out. ETSU clearly the win LSU and what LSU's been able to do. Plus, LSU hasn't lost a home game except to ETSU. Uh, and so you look at some of that and all the other matrix and non-conference and who you play. And ETSU's mid-major portion of the schedule has actually been better because you look at Little Rock, 18-9, and nine, Winthrop, 19-9. I know you'll get them a little bit later. But you look at some of those wins, and those have been better wins. And they can now I know they've had a rough – couple weeks between the two but those wins are looking a lot better and those things help the rankings but right now uncg with some better wins non-conference and with uncg beating Furman, and again Furman gets another shot here uh, uh next wednesday as a matter of fact then i think it's a situation where they're the outside team looking in if they lose this game and uncg is going to be the team that gets looked but right now uncg has better wins and better rankings than what Furman does and that's why Furman right now needs to get the automatic but that could change if Furman won out it's all relative but right this second if the committee were to pick somebody if ETSU won out they would go with UNCG over Furman get to UNCG in a second number nine Stephen F. Austin nine straight wins after beating New Orleans and Texas A&M Corpus Christi since two Saturdays back those last two games they stay parked at number nine in the mid-major poll behind Furman and BYU who switched spots the Lumberjacks can lock up the regular season title in the Southland with two wins this week against Central Arkansas tonight and Incarnate Word Saturday teams that are combined 17 and 34 this year overall there's UNCG lying in wait it seems like the Spartans no one's really talking about them they're four games since losing to ETSU though they've won by 20 per contest should Furman pull the upset tonight against the Bucks and the Spartans beat Wofford at home one week from today suddenly a game that means a lot more as Furman would take on UNCG and Greensboro and a game that could potentially make it a three-way tie at the top of the league yeah and you know depending again you said it right because it depends on Furman's got Wofford you know their biggest rival on a Saturday noon game mm. for television purposes. They had to move it. It's just for local TV, but still they had to move it to noon. I'm sure nobody wants to do that on a Saturday. I'm assuming, but so Furman, you're talking about a rough stretch. They're going at ETSU, biggest rival, not even in their own building in a downtown arena, and then at UNCG. So if they can survive that, you know they're going to be able to build that resume up fairly quickly. If they're not able to survive one game two games you know they pretty much need to win the tournament to get in uncg perfect words kind of line in the weight because depending on what happens in this game and they went out and they get to the championship game they've got a little bit going for them too because they were the 69th team basically last year they were the first team left out the overall number one seed in the nit people remember that stuff you know, and so I think a little bit of re- a name recognition kind of helps. I think they remember Furman was in the top 25. They certainly know ETSU's made some noise before, and they've made noise all year as far as some of these things are going. So 
the stretch is going to come down. If ETSU, I'm sorry, if the Southern Conference wants two teams in, it needs two of the three teams, ETSU, Furman, UNCG, to win out, which can happen. They don't want, I think, is Furman to beat ETSU, UNCG to beat Furman, Wofford beat UNCG, and then it pretty much makes everything null and void, and, and they're out of the conversation all the way together. They do not want that scenario if you're a Southern Conference fan. Unless you're a fan of that team, I get it. But if you're not a fan of that team and you're just a fan of let's get more teams in, you need ETSU Furman, UNCG. You need two out of the three to win out. And the most logical is maybe ETSU UNCG for the simple reason they don't play each other. And that's the easiest response there. But even if Furman won out, ETSU dropped this one and then won out, it, we'd have to look at the numbers, but I think it would be tough uh, for ETSU at this point. So Gonzaga, ETSU, Northern Iowa, St. Mary's, Yale, Liberty, BYU, Furman, Stephen F. Austin, UNCG, New Mexico State. This is a program Coach Forbes spoke glowingly of on the Coaches Show Monday, said he wouldn't want to play them in the NCAA tournament. A lot of that because he and Chris Jans, head coach out there, uh, who he said is doing an incredible job, grew up together, still doing an incredible job, are uh, New Mexico State and Chris Jans after wins over Utah Valley and Seattle U last week. It's now 15 straight wins, fourth longest in the country behind what three teams? Fourth longest behind what three teams? Uh, Baylor? Okay, they won their 23rd last night, Big 12 record. Okay. Um, oof, longest wins are you? What, what, what's, what's New Mexico State at right now? 15. 15. Oof. Remember Gonzaga. This, Gonzaga's got 18, and you're missing the easy one, actually. I'm missing uh, Kansas? There's, there's an undefeated team left in the country. Oh, San Diego <laughs> State. <laughs> Thank State. you. Right. Thank you. And I would have drew I would have drew a blank on that. <laughs> Can I tell you something else about it? Unless you're are you still rotten? No, no, go ahead. Okay. The the big thing about New Mexico State, they had high because they almost beat Auburn last year in the first round game. And then Auburn, of course, made the run to the final four. Right. So who knows how that would have panned out. But they had a lot of guys coming back. He had uh Chris Jans had three injuries. A couple of them, I think, out for the year, mm. or, or one for sure out for the year, and the second one may just come. So he's got a couple guys just coming back, and you're starting to see how good everybody thought they were be uh, would be. And the scary part is, because of how they started, they may end up sliding into one of those if they go to the tournament in like that 12 seed. Again, some five seed is going to be absolutely mad that the committee didn't take a full look at the injuries to what happened then. Plus, I think, sidebar, ETSU – could benefit by seeding if Jerome Rodriguez comes back because the committee does look at that stuff and they look and say, okay, we got a blip in the road since Rodriguez was out. And you could say, hurt, didn't finish the Furman game, lost the Furman game. You could say they lost that Mercer game when really they got killed inside and they needed an inside guy. Rodriguez would actually help the case at that point, just like New Mexico State should be helped. That doesn't mean they always will, but you always watch these things where it's like, well, you know, Duke lost a guy for eight games. My goodness, we've got to put that in consideration. So what about Jeremy Rodriguez, who's an all-conference performer, and what about three guys out of the starting lineup for New Mexico State, and they get a couple of them back? I mean, to me, that's a very dangerous Lobo team and obviously a very winnable whack Conference that they could, again, not just win the tournament, but they could be a scary upset pick because I think their seed will be too low. Wright State massacres IUPUI last Sunday by 40, a 17-point win over Illinois-Chicago as well, a two-game lead for the Raiders over Northern Kentucky in their conference, that being the Horizon, numbers 9 through 13, the same in the poll this week as they were last. Wright State at 12 again. Vermont stays at 13, 24 and 28 point wins for the Catamounts to maintain their healthy advantage over Stony Brook, who they face Thursday at 7 p.m. With a win for Vermont, it's mathematical curtains on the regular season title and one seed in America East. 
14th, Akron, up one spot from number 15 last week. It was a tough week on paper for the Zips, but they get double-digit wins over Central Michigan and Bowling Green, now within a half game in the MAC East of the latter squad, while they sent the former Central Michigan to third in the MAC West with their win over them. Significant results for Akron coming down the stretch, and six days from now, it's a rematch, which will likely be for the Mac East title, Akron and Bowling Green, this time on the Falcons' home floor. Hofstra, number 15, they hold court by defeating Charleston and UNCW this week by double figures. They're up six spots, the biggest leap in the poll this week, even though those two teams are a combined 12-18 and 18 in the CAA. Go figure. Hofstra, a game and a half clear of William and Mary. Belmont, number 16, they thrash Tennessee State and Jacksonville State in the Ohio Valley. That ends Tennessee State's chances at the regular season crown and keeps Belmont alive as they're a game behind Murray State and Austin P, who are essentially all lined up in this poll. Here's Murray State at number 17. The Racers falling one spot and seeing Belmont move above them because of their four-spot rise. The reason for the fall for Murray State, Daquan Smith missing a three to tie Austin P at the buzzer in their showdown atop the OVC last Thursday. The Governor's win to tie for the top spot. They're at number 19, so it's Austin P and Murray State one game ahead of Belmont for the OVC lead. Really competitive, fun conference again this year. So, uh, two things. Uh, speaking of the OVC, Belmont, I believe, has they got 20, right? So they've wrapped up their 15th consecutive 20-win season. Wow. And, you know, ETSU, obviously, five. We've been talking about that. Vermont has wrapped up their 12th consecutive 20-win season. Incredible. Two, two solid teams there. And Murray State starting to make a lot of noise. Certainly, uh, uh, former App State alum, uh, uh, Mike McMahon's the head coach there. Know a lot about him, and uh, and he's done a great job. A lot of people thought you lose John Morant, right? Your number two pick overall, everything that he all worldly was not going to be able to recover. But he's still in what has been a decent Ohio Valley league, especially at the top end. Bottom end is still very brutally bad, very brutally bad. So kind of has a hard time talking because they got the academies and everything else, but. Uh, to see o- the OVC and where that's going to come down to a two-horse race. I don't know either team's going to have enough to get the at-large this year as the conversation was going. But to me, a- again, it's going to be unfair that one of those two teams could be left out uh, not playing in the NCAA tournament. Bowling Green, number 18. We just discussed them in the Akron talk. Down one spot this week. Number 19, Austin P. mentioned them. SIU Edwardsville and Eastern Illinois, their opponents this week. Nine combined league wins, so they should be all right in the immediate. Murray State's week, slightly tougher with SIU Edwardsville and Eastern Kentucky, who are fourth in the league right now. Just one game behind Belmont for second and two behind Murray and Austin P. for first. Belmont has Moorhead State and Eastern Kentucky. Their road the toughest this week. Number 20, Loyola Chicago. Big jump for them. We mentioned they beat Northern Iowa. That's the big win of the week. They pre uh, precluded that one with a seven-point win over Evansville. So from unranked to number 20 this week, as we said, down just a game, the Ramblers in the Missouri Valley to Northern Iowa. Little Rock. This is bad news for those that have played the Trojans and are relying on the win over them for quadrant wins to boost their net ranking. Not one, but two losses this week. Down seven spots after dropping contest to Texas State and UT Arlington. That leaves them with just a game advantage over Georgia State after it looked like they had the league wrapped up. They get a rest in the midweek before going up against Arkansas State Saturday. Then Winthrop, you mentioned we talk about them, and we do. They split their week. They cling to a one-point win over Presbyterian to break their two-game losing string against Radford and Gardner-Webb, in which they lost by four points apiece. Just a half-game lead for Winthrop over Radford in the Big South. Hampton, USC, Upstate, and High Point left on the Eagles schedule. While it's UNCA, USC, Upstate, Hampton, and Gardner-Webb for the Highlanders. Toughest matchup of all of those is Gardner-Webb, the only other team in the league above 500, and Radford, the only team of the two that has to face them. So it will be an uphill battle to get that one seed. So Winthrop and Little Rock with those losses the last couple of weeks now drop out of 
135, and that's big because that's where it changes the quadrants for you. 139, Winthrop, they, it, hopefully they went out or at least win a lot of games to get them back inside the 135. Little Rock at 144. Same thing, a little bit more work to do, but if you can get those teams back in the 135 range, I think that's going to be very important. Same thing as you look at a, a situation with Furman at 71. They change, a, a couple of those things change quadrants if they drop below 75. And so I think it's if Furman were to drop a game at ETSU, drop a game at UNCG, would they be able to get back up there? I don't know UNCG obviously already inside that at um, as far as the net ranking is 55 and ETSU sitting at 42. Obviously, if ETSU keeps winning, gets in that low 30s, it's going to be very, very difficult, I think, because they're already in the 30s in the RPI. So all those rankings and all those things matter. Need to, If you're a Buck fan, need to pull for Little Rock, need to pull Winthrop to kind of get their act together and continue to knock out wins. Final three, South Dakota State number 23. They've won 11 of their last 12 wins over Denver and IPFW last week. Two of the bottom three in the league. They're up by a half game over North Dakota State for the Summit League lead. Two Thursdays from now is that matchup. First, North Dakota and South Dakota, the obstacles this week for SDSU. Colgate, number 24, slips up against Loyola of Maryland, 84-80. to The final down five spots, the only Patriot League team that's in the poll this week. They're up by a game on Boston U, but no more regular season matchups between the two left, so Boston needs some help. Should the Raiders be able to get to the tournament, could be one of those dangerous mid-major teams. Top 10 in the nation in makes and attempts from deep. Also just 11 turnovers per game. And finally, Harvard, after they lost to Brown by a point on a free throw with one second left, they drop one spot despite two wins this week, one over Cornell, the other over Columbia. This Harvard squad, a game back of Yale and Princeton in the Ivy League. That conference going to start to get separated, though, down the stretch. Princeton, one of the Crimson's opponents this week, while Penn is tied with Harvard and Brown for second in the conference, one game back. Five teams of the eight in that league within a game of first, and that is the College Insider Mid-Major Top 25. So numbers 1 through 13 are the same, just some slight shuffling in terms of order with a spot here and there. No team moving more than one spot. Then more movement down near the bottom with Hofstra up six spots. A poll uh, that we see this week with Hofstra jumping the biggest of anyone in it, and Loyola and SDSU entering the rankings. Tonight, UNCG and Wofford, along with, of course, the Bucks and Paladins. North Florida at Liberty, 7 p.m. Thursday for the A-Sun lead. Vermont and Stony Brook at 7 tomorrow for what could be the final significant game in the battle for the America East title. Gonzaga at BYU deep into Saturday night. Gonzaga takes the one seed in regular season title in their own conference with a win. And this coming Tuesday, a fight for the top spot in the MAC East. Bowling Green. You love the MAC. And Akron. I know everything about the MAC. You're going to break it down one day for us? I think I may go wire to wire, MAC history, special episode, Santos and the Sidekick, eight hour tour. I cannot wait. I probably can't, but I'll be there for it if you want. I mean, I'll be the only listener, so it'll be great. All right, we'll be back uh, Friday. What are we going to do? Are we going to do fell downs Friday? Talk about the Mac on Friday. Let's talk about the Mac. They're fell down. We'll talk about uh, Mike Gallagher fell down. We'll talk about bold predictions. We'll talk ETSU men's and women's basketball recaps and previews for the weekend. All that more coming up Friday. Sandals Sutkin. Bye, Network. We love the Mac. See ya.